0: All right, last time. Let's, uh, by the way, so there were two booklets on the table outside. Are they still two, or did they all get taken? There's two booklets on the table. One is just a tonight, that thing, like you've gotten every week. And the other one has kind of the white frame around it. That has got all the notes in it for the whole thing. So in, in my mind, I was making something that, you know, you wouldn't have to, like you would be able to read through it on your own, like give it to a friend. It's not. Uh, you would not be able to do that (laughs) and say, you'll understand five points of Calvinism. But um, I don't know, I might go back and add to it one day. Who knows? Probably not. So, um, wait, just a second. Some kids left a a shovel in my yard. Okay. Anyway, let's get started. Week one, what was it? God has a plan. Is that good news? Why is that good news? What, bud? Yeah. we're mov- History is moving in a direction. It's not just... Uh, we're not just in a bowl of chaos and God's not going, looking at us going, I wonder what's going to happen next. Wow. They crucified Jesus. Didn't see that one coming. wonder what's going to happen next. He's, that's not what's going on. There's always been one plan... Uh, That plan is to take us from uh, fallen and broken people in a fallen and broken world and to deliver us into uh, transform us into beautiful and perfect people in a beautiful and perfect world. He's taking us from the garden to the city. The city still has a river of life flowing through it. It still has the tree of life um, growing in it. We're still going to eat the fruits from the tree of life which we were banned from uh, in the garden. And satan uh will finally be uh thrown into the pit of fire and it'll be safe and there'll be nothing left to fear there's a plan god has a plan he is executing that plan second week uh why what we we talked about radical corruption right total depravity is the traditional phrase and we said we don't really like that because depravity is just a strong word that nobody uses and when you say that people are totally depraved, you kind of get the idea of, you know, some kind of child stalker in the corner of a prison and saying everybody's like that. And that's not, we're not saying everybody's as bad as they possibly could be, but we are saying that everybody's affected completely, right? So I, I chose the word radically corrupt, radical to, to signify just how deep it is, how uh, uh, all-encompassing it is, and corrupt because it was something beautiful that's been broken, you know, that's really what's going on. And all, all of our good things, um, they've just got something wrong with them, right? And, and that's usually in us, right? So chocolate's a good thing, but we eat too much of it. And alcohol's a good thing, but we drink too much of it. And sex is a good thing, but we don't want to keep it in its boundaries. And everything, all these good things out there end up being corrupted by our inability to enjoy them correctly. And so... Uh, We have to be changed. We are dead in sin. We are, most importantly, the most corrupted thing about us is we were created to be in a relationship with God. You were never created to be independent. You were created to to receive his love, uh, to to be face-to-face with him like we will be for all eternity, and to reflect that love or let that love flow through you and pour out to the people around you. That's what you're created to do. Um, but we don't. Sin has turned us inward, and so that when we walk into a room, our, our first thought is not, man, God is here. And our second thought is not, I wonder if there's anybody here who needs to feel God's love right now. Our first thought is, is there anybody here who likes me? Am I safe? Is my, are my pants zipped? You know, our, our first ten thoughts are about ourselves, and then typically... We find the one person that we know who likes us, and we call, couple up with them, and we start talking bad about everybody else, and that's because we're afraid, right? We're we are our, uh, we're naked and ashamed, and so we're constantly clothing ourselves. Uh, but we're turned away from God. But God is not turned away from us. God uh, has has made a plan to be with us forever and ever, and so He has unconditionally elected. His people. We change that because, again, it's words that we don't really use very often. Into eternal love, because it has no beginning and it has no end. Um, longer than there's been fish down in the ocean, he's been in love with us. Um, truly, before before the foundations of the earth, we're told in Ephesians chapter one, he chose us in Christ. I want to let you meditate on that for a second. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He didn't choose you in Adam at any point. What happened in the Garden of Eden was not an unforeseen travesty. We were always... We've never been... It's never been fathomed that we would be saved any other way. Um, God has a plan. That plan has always been to save us in Christ. Um... So he set his love upon us. Um, he sent his son to die for us, knowing exactly who he was dying for. Uh, we said we you know the traditional phrase is limited atonement. That's a pejorative phrase. It was a it was meant to be an insult, and we reject it completely because there's nothing limited about it, right? It's a perfect redemption. It's a perfect redemption. He has completely and forever saved us. Uh, He has, for once and for all, we're going to read this text again tonight. Once and for all, he has perfected, he's made one sacrifice. He made a sacrifice for sin, and he sat down. Sins were forgiven. Sins were paid for. And he has once and for all perfected those who are being perfected. It's a fascinating and wonderful thought. All right. And then last week we talked about irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. We didn't like that. I didn't like that because it's fun to replace words. And because irresistible grace sounds like, you know, God's pulling you by the collar and you don't want to go, but he's like, "Come on, you're coming to heaven whether you like it or not." And that's that's not what happens right he, he effectually calls us he renews our hearts he makes us born again and when we are born again now we are free to do the thing we were created to do what was the thing we were created to do what yeah love god that's our natural state that's our created state our God created us to be in relationship with him. That's why we find no rest until we find our rest in him. That's why we're eternally thirsty until we drink the living water from him. That is why we're eternally hungry until we eat the, the, the bread of his flesh. That is why we walk in darkness until we come to him who is the light. He created us for him. We were never designed to be without him. And so finally, now he has effectually called us. He's changed our hearts. He's changed our minds. Now we see him, and now we fly to him. We run to him um, because that's what we were created for, right? So it's um, God. God becomes to it goes from being repellent to us, some, something we're afraid of, something we are just absolutely want to get away from in every way, to being, in the words of Robert Palmer, simply irresistible, right? Well, that's a good joke. That's a good song. So tonight, we are talking about Perseverance of the Saints. Perseverance, that's how you spell that. Perseverance of the Saints. And you probably think, I'm going to change that. But I'm not. And you know why? Because it's a really great term. <laughs> and what what is great about it is that it says exactly what we want it to say. Okay. Um, some people want to want to replace it with the phrase "preservation of the saints," and because that puts the stress on God preserving them. And then there's some some truth to that. But what's the difference? What's the difference with saying? The, the saints of God have, the Westminster Confession says it like this those who God hath accepted and is beloved effectually called and sanctified can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved so what's the difference between preservation and perseverance What what's the stress we're looking for in preservation God is doing it instead of us and so why do we like perseverance more? Because we are actually doing it. We are actually doing it. We you, per, pre, Perseverance of the saints does not mean that once you've made a, a profession of faith, you can go off and do whatever you want to do. Perseverance of the saints means you are going to live like a saint. You're going to ultimately persevere. There are going to be times when you, you go off the road, but you're always going to come back. You're always going to come back for a lot of reasons. We're about to go through the reasons. But but I, I think it's important that we understand that. I think it's important that we distinguish that, that we are acting. God is working in us to change how we act, and, and he is not going to let us go. And Some of you are surprised by that. Like you're thinking to yourself, I'm really surprised I'm still here. You know, I thought by now I would have fallen away. And if you'd been left to your own, you probably would have. But because God is at work in you, you eventually came back. And and you always will. And you always will. So let's make a couple of distinctions. I think that's important. We're talking about pers- perseverance. You are you are going to continue to, to pursue Christ until you see him face to face. You are. Um, we're not... What we're not talking about is assurance of salvation, okay? Sometimes when uh, well-meaning Christians, when someone makes a profession of faith, they'll say to them, congratulations, you're going to heaven now. You just can't know that. I'm sorry, you you just can't. And you know that you can't know that, and so you want to say something along the lines of, you know, if you're sincere, or if you really meant it. Well, who's ever really meant anything? The only thing, the only way we'll know it is if they persevere. If they persevere. Uh, assurance of salvation is something we should seek after. It's something that comes to every Christian who perseveres long enough. It's something that comes to every Christian as they grow in Christ. Um, per, uh, assurance of salvation is something that is lost when we are far from Christ. Um David, King David, after he committed adultery and after he had uh, committed murder and he just kept silent about it for nine months, um, he he said, my bones waxed within me. He said, your hand was heavy upon me. Uh, he, he wasn't writing. That's not when he was writing the 23rd Psalm. He wasn't talking about how great it was to have the Lord as his shepherd. He didn't write any Psalms, actually. He waited to write until after it was over. Um, but he came back. Why did he come back? Because God wasn't going to let him go. And so God sent Nathan to him, and he repented. David did those things, and he, he confessed his sins, and he experienced forgiveness. And the reason why he did it is because God wasn't going to let him go, but he did them. And, and that's a, that's an important distinction. I, I want you all to have assurance of salvation. I hope you do. Um, I, I'm going to look around. As far as I know, everybody in here should have assurance of salvation. I'm, I'm pretty assured. There's a couple of you I don't know quite well enough to say, ah, you know. But probably, I mean, you're here on a Wednesday night. It's pretty impressive. Um, seriously, uh, you, you use your time to study the Bible. Time is valuable. Why? Because God is at work in you. God's at work in you. Um, that's a good thing. Be thankful for it. Uh, anyway, sorry. Back to assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation, which is often confused with perseverance, waxes and wanes. Um, the Apostle John wrote a letter specifically f- with the intention of giving you assurance of salvation. It's called First John. We call it First John. He he ends it by saying, "I've written these things that you may know you have eternal life." And what are these things? You go back and read the read the um, the letter. It's walking in light, the light. It's not, not walking in darkness. It's walking in the light. It is um, loving God and receiving his adoption. And it is loving your neighbor. If anyone says he loves the Lord but hates his neighbor, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. For anyone who does not love his neighbor whom he can see cannot possibly love God who he does not see. Well, those are harsh words, and I didn't make them up. John did. He said them right there in 1 John. And that One of the purposes of that book is to, to, to help you to distinguish who is a believer and who is not. Uh, so we're not talking about assurance of salvation. We are we are talking about the faith, our faith in the Good Shepherd. We're talking about our faith in the Good Shepherd. The prodigal son comes home for a reason. Uh the the good shepherd leaves the ninety nine and goes and gets number one hundred and he always will. And, and but don't don't take that for granted. Not because I'm worried that you're going to leave, but because it's just not fun to be lost. Like you don't you don't want to try that. You don't want to try. I used to tell Isaac, buddy, you're always going to get caught. Like I would find out about things he said on the bus before he got home, and I still don't even know how that is mathematically possible but for whatever reason, the girls he would mean to would come by the house before he did. And um, and I told him, I said, buddy, you're always going to get caught. And the reason why you're always going to get caught is because Jesus loves you. And so just don't go anywhere. Because <laughs> it, the, the trip back is going to be painful. All right. Um, uh, let me read these two passages that, that explain what we're trying to say. And then uh, let me kind of expand on this a little bit further, and then I'll give you time to ask some questions, because I can see your little wheels spinning in your head. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's in us. He's working in us. Romans eight thirty eight and 39. It's interesting that Paul starts both these passages off with the words, I am sure. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord so what do you think is the disagreement why would people not why isn't everybody going yeah what's what what are people afraid of with this one there's two good reasons why people disagree Yeah, well, people are going to just go off and sin, right? That's the thought. That's always the thought. And that's a misinterpretation of the whole point, actually. Um, but, yeah, it's always that thought. Well, if you give people assurance of their salvation, then they're going to go off and sin. I just kind of explained our answer to that question. Right? If you're living in rampant sin, you may or may not be saved. I will never know that until you get to heaven. But you have no right to assurance of salvation. And if you have assurance of salvation while you're living in a, a, a pit of sin, then that is called presumption. And the Bible has very strong words for people who live in presumption. There is a difference. Uh, believers are humble, and, and they always come home. Um, what's the other reason? There are some Bible texts that sure do sound like they're telling you you don't fall away, and we'll talk about those a little bit later. Because yeah, I have to; couldn't be, wouldn't be fair if I didn't. So, I'm going to let Cheryl teach Hebrews six to you. It's a tough one. All right. So, what is this? What is this? Uh, what is the foundation of our perseverance? Number one, this is all in your notes, by the way. So, don't feel like I have to write all these Bible verses down. This morning, I saw this uh, woman just feverishly writing, and I just couldn't help it. I went over to her and said, "If you'll turn the page, it's all right there." And she was like, oh, thank you. I like, yeah. So I did the work for you. The first foundation is, bam, the immutability of God's election. Why would God go to the trouble of electing people and then letting them go away? It's like his work isn't strong enough. His love is, is immutable. He set it upon us. What does he say? He says uh, in Romans 11, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. It's interesting. Hebrew six seventeen and nineteen. Hebrews six is a very fascinating passage on the subject of assurance of salvation and perseverance of the saints, isn't it? I find it fascinating because it says some of the most, um, some of the most encouraging things, and some of the most like whoa. a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Wow. We have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. God doesn't change his purposes. God's not going to change his mind tomorrow and go, ah, whatever, I don't like y'all anymore. He's going he's to be faithful and just to complete his work. He is. The second fundamental um foundation for perseverance and why we can have confidence is it is the perfection of Jesus' sacrifice. It's perfect. He did not need to do it again. The work has been done. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.11, he's, he's just listed off all these awful, terrible sins, and he says, none of these people would inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Past tense. You're justified. You're washed. You're sanctified. Jesus did all that. Uh, You know, 90% of my job is just convincing you to receive what Jesus has done. Just receive it. You're not, you don't, it's not your job to perfect yourself. You're already perfect. Just receive it. Hebrews 10. So good. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Before, by a single offering, he is perfected. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified he he has perfected his children it's done you don't experience it yet but it's true of you it is done you can rest you can rest in that the more you rest in it the more you actually reflect it Uh, if you want to to speed it up if you want to uh, hurry up this process you know what you do right. You behold the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 um, says it. I love this. He, he's talking about looking at Moses with a veiled face, and there's a veil over those who are trying to be saved by the law. And then he says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. You are being tra- Just by beholding that glory, just beholding that glory, that's what transforms you. It, it, see, it, Satan... Works his little magic in us, and he gets us thinking we need to be thinking about ourselves all the time and buffeting our bodies because that's we need to make this perfect and get our get our heads down here. But actually, peering into the face of Jesus, beholding the glory of Jesus, that energizes you. It energizes you. That's what what con- conforms you to his image. There's certainly a place for. Uh, discipline. I'm not saying there's not. Paul is extremely disciplined. But the, the key to transformation is, is faith in the glory of Christ, he tells us. Uh, thirdly, our, fa- our our confidence and our perseverance is on the, um, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. I think you're, you're probably saying to yourself, gee, Ricky, you're just giving us a review. Yeah, you're right. You're right. This is a review, right? Election, atonement, sealing. The Holy Spirit is our seal. I love what uh, Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says. uh, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him... You also, when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, this is talking about you, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You've been sealed. God is The Holy Spirit is God's earnest money on, on this new home that he has purchased, which is you. It is. It is his down payment. It's a very, very expensive down payment that he has no intention uh, of giving up on. You, the Holy Spirit is is your seal. That this is not a counterfeit. That you are the real thing. God's God's work is upon you. It is. It is your seal. It's within you, and you have it. And He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. So that's the three the things that are outside of us the objective things that our perseverance is based upon. But there's something else, and the fourth thing is the seed of of righteousness within you. Was a confession say? I got to say this right. The seed of God within us. Can't believe they would say that, but they did. So it must be right. Um, God is as recreating us in His image. Uh, we're. We're just different. We're we're different. There's something inside of us that is different. And we follow him. And we come back to him. Um, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this the most perfectly. Of all these verses, I would encourage you to, to put a big X or circle around this one. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now much more in my absence work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Right there in the Bible. Work it out. How? For it is God who works in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. When you set your hand to doing the works of God, to showing mercy, to showing kindness, to... um, acts of loving Him through worship or loving each other through uh, mercy and grace. God is working in you. The reason why you want to do good things is because God is at work in you. The reason why you came to this Bible study is because God is at work in you. The reason why you haven't left the church yet is because God is at work in you. He is at work in you to desire the right good things and to do them. That's how you work out your, your your salvation, fear and trembling. I love that. He doesn't seem to be bothered by that contradiction. So why should we, <laughs> right? It's like, it's not a contradiction. That you, We're both going the same direction. So just keep going that direction and life will be good for you. The seed of God within us. Um, 1 John two eighteen through 20 says this. Uh, Children, it's the last hour. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know it's the last hour. Isn't that fascinating? How many people do you know who are just terrified of the antichrist? When was the last time you said, you know they've been around for a long time? Who are the antichrists, you may be asking? Well, let's look. They went out from us, but they're not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and have knowledge. That's great, isn't it? You ever, you ever just been tempted to be led astray and just thought, mm, I didn't feel right. That didn't seem right. Uh, when Bianca was a freshman at Vandy, there was a, a cult-like group on church. I, I, I try to stay away from using the whole term "cult" unless I'm referring to Texas A&M. And, um, but there was a cult-like group called the Boston Church of Christ. I think they're still around. And um, and she started going. You know, she, she was just going to a Bible study. Bible studies are all they're all good. How can anybody bad be doing a Bible study? You know. And so she went and she was. Uh, get, got into a discipling relationship with somebody because they are real adamant about that. And then they started talking about her getting baptized again. Well, you need to get baptized. If you want to be saved, you got to be baptized in our church. And that anointing just began to, you know, spring up within her. Like, that doesn't sound right. Uh, I, think I'm, I think I'm done here. Uh, in, later in the same chapter, he says, um, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you, but his but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. Uh, he says, "There's there's those that are trying to deceive you. They they have come out from the church, and they are teaching false things that sound good, right? And we've we've seen a a new rash of that in the last fifteen years or so. People who Started out within the church, um, and they just kind of just went out a little too far, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Wait a minute," you know. Gwen Shamblin, y'all remember her? She had a great diet called the Way Down Diet. It was a great diet, actually. It worked. I know a lot of people that helped. And then somehow it just sprung into all these strange things, and she has a little cult following now. And um, you know, same as. True for a lot of writers and preachers um, lately. But I think if you're a believer, you just kind of read those things and you go, well, no, no, that's not right. And then finally, the certainty of the covenant of grace. Uh, Jeremiah 32:40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts. That they may not turn from me. Um, you know the fascinating thing about the the, the covenant of grace. For years, I I, was, I thought it was a future event. I was just waiting on it. You know this promise that uh, God's going to write His law upon our hearts. And then I was like, wait a minute, that's being born again. Oh yeah, He's done that. He's given us eyes to see. He's given us a, a, a heart to obey. Um, he says, they, oh, the, the, their father in Hebrews 8, 8-12, through is a long passage. I'm not going to read it all. But he says, your forefathers in Egypt, they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people, and I will be merciful to them, and I will remember their sins no more. God has, has established this covenant, has promised to us that we are his people. That we are his people, and he um, is, is faithful to us. He has written his laws in our hearts. Again, that's that seed within us, right? And that's why, that's why trying to turn away feels miserable. And you just need to stop trying. This is where you belong. Um Austin, how long have you been in this church? Eighteen years. Longer than me. How many times have you thought you were about to bail on it? Five. One finally I just came up to him one day and said, You ain't going anywhere. So just stop. You ain't going anywhere. This is where you belong, and we're all. You're, you're going to come back. You remember that? You probably don't remember that. You do remember that. Good. Um, you're not going go anywhere. You know, you're going to have bad days, and you're going to have bad weeks, and bad years, and you're going to feel like God is a, is far away from you, and you're going to feel like He's not hearing you, and and you're going to get frustrated, and you're going to say things to Him you thought you were never going to say but you're going to be really sorry about it because you said it to him and you wouldn't have said it to him if you didn't believe in him and you're not going anywhere and you really don't want to go anywhere because the process of getting brought back is not comfortable. It's really not fun to find yourself in a pigsty. It's, it's just not that great. You don't want to be there. You know, if, I, I know many people more than I should who you know grew up in Christian homes bailed on the church and then came back to church through the ministries of AA it's like I mean I'm thankful but there was an easier road you know that I'm thankful you came back but man that's a tough road you don't want to walk that you don't want to spend the rest of your life a recovering addict just stay where you are you're not going anywhere Stay where you are. Um, any questions about that before we dig into problematic passages? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, because it is certain for believers. Okay. There there is it's, it's difficult, but assurance of salvation is like um it's like a good marriage. Are you sure Bobby loves you? Yeah, of course you are. How long have you been with him? Forty two years. Forty three years ago? Were you sure he loved you? Are you more sure now than you were forty two years ago? See that's assurance of Bobby's love. That's the, the same thing that assurance of salvation is. The longer you walk with him, the more assured you are of it. It's, it. Assurance of salvation is very subjective. It's subjective. Um, I, I think you have every reason to be assured. Um, and uh, It's subjective, yeah. It's part, partly a feeling. It's a confidence that you are in, that, that God's not angry with you. John calls it... Um, he says, perfect love casts away fear. You know, when, when uh, the beginning of godliness is the fear of the Lord. That's usually where it starts. And usually you're not confident that he loves you yet. You're, you, you're, you accept it, right? But you're, you're, you're kind of like, Ugh. And the longer you walk with him, the more confident you grow. And, um, and that doesn't mean your salvation is in doubt. It was never in doubt because you were elect, but it just means it took a while for you to realize it. Yeah, assurance that you've been justified takes a while. Right? Yeah, same thing. Assurance and confidence are the same thing. It just, it just takes away. You're were you saved? yes were you sure that you were saved probably not and sometimes some people are from the beginning I, I certainly wasn't at all yeah that's interesting. I've never thought about that. But I'll probably go with you there. It's good. Yeah, it's very common. And and it's that's, that's an important thing. One of the pastoral applications of that, Julie, is just because you're struggling with your assurance doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. A lot of people think that, right? They think if they're struggling, if they're going through a time of doubt, then they're rejecting God and, you know, all these things are happening. And it's 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 good to know, look, your salvation is based upon what Christ has done. And um, it's, it's okay that you're struggling with a little doubt. That's all right. I'm not panicking about that. I think it's an important thing for uh, more more experienced Christians when talking to less experienced ones to just have a, a sense of calmness, right? It's like, hey, I'm not worried. I, I You know, I'm not... I am not worried about this Bible study. If I've not convinced you to become a Calvinist yet, that's fine. You will be eventually. You know? But, um, you know, that's, that's cool. Um, we're, we're settled. We're calm. And we can speak that calmness into people's lives because you're going to have times of doubt, of course. Um, there's, there's, You know, that's described in the Psalms. Psalm 69. I've, I called out to you until my voice grew hoarse. I, I looked for you until my eyes grew dim. I couldn't find you. That, you know, those, we're going to go through those times, and uh, the confession, actually, the chapter on assurance. If I was going to teach one more study, which I'm not, it would be on assurance. And uh, the, that's oh gosh, I love it so much. But they talk about all the reasons why we're assured of our salvation and how you grow in it and how just because you don't have it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It's just something you grow in. And then they add this. I love this addition. They say, uh, true believers may have their assurance in uh, in diverse ways shaken. Um, and, and you may go through long periods of darkness. And that might be to, to prepare you for some coming struggle. It might be to prepare you to minister to people who are going to go through similar what things. It might be to um, to rebuke you for, for earlier sins. And it might be for some reason we don't know. It may be just because, you know, God's at work and he's doing things and we don't understand. them. Um, but just because you struggle with that doesn't mean, just because you struggle with assurance of salvation I mean, you does not mean you've lost your salvation. And so the way this plays out uh, effectively and pastorally is if I walk up to somebody and I'm talking to them they're crying and they're sad, and they, they, they fear that they've lost their salvation, I can say to them, I really don't think you did. Because if you'd lost your salvation, the last thing in the world you would be afraid of is that you've lost your salvation. Right? I mean, that's just not that's not how that works. People who Now, now there are people who leave the church and never come back, but they're not out there trembling and crying and going, I'm afraid that God's not going to accept me. They don't believe in God at all. Right? And so, there's this kind of um, judo you can do on them. People who are really worried about losing their salvation, you can say, yeah, people... Right. Right. And, you know, the people out there chasing prostitutes and think it's fine because they've been saved and it doesn't matter what they've done, you can go, eh, I don't think so. Yeah, you know, you, you might... You might want to check some things because the Apostle Paul clearly says it's actually immoral wanting to inherit the kingdom of God. So let's work on that. Any other questions? That's a great question. Thank you for taking us down that road. Love that. Love that road. All right. Um, well, let's look about at these problematic passages for a minute because they're, they. I mean, I I just think you have to, to be honest to the Bible. Uh, So one of them is in Hebrews, what is it, Hebrews 6, 4 through 9. Isn't that funny? We just read the second half of that chapter as a grounds for our assurance of salvation. But let's just look at this text. It's tough. It's tough. It says, It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, "...and has shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain often fall, that falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who's, for whose sake it is cultivated." receives a blessing from God but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned and then he ends it with this kind of hilarious caveat we speak in this way yet in your case beloved we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation isn't that hilarious Uh, but that's you know that's a difficult text right it's certain if he's not saying you can lose your salvation you can lose your eraser He's, if he's not saying you can lose your salvation, it sure sounds like it, right? So, anyone want to care to take a swing at it? You're just just counted. You, <laughs> did you skip it last year? <laughs> oh, no. Yes, come on, Kurt. Give me your favorite. Okay. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I have no idea. Don't even ask. I was about to say, you gave me a question, not an answer. Uh, that's good. That's very fair. That's very fair. Um, this is my interpretation of that text. The reason why it can't say what it sounds like on a superficial level is this. We all know people who have been in the church, left the church for a time, and came back. All right, And it says that's impossible. And we know it's not impossible. Because we've seen it, and we have the parable of the prodigal son, and Jesus taught that for a reason, right? And and so, and you know, Paul, not Paul, Peter, you know, leaves the disciples and comes back, and John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas and comes back, and and, and so it can't mean that. It just the, the superficial reading of it. It can't be that. So what does it mean? What I think it means is that. Uh, He is talking about people who are, in this case, Hebrews, okay? God's covenant people at the time of Jesus. And it it appears, when you read the whole book, it appears the temple still exists. So this is first-generation Hebrews, because he says, you know, the priests are offering daily sacrifices, so they didn't after Rome destroyed it. So he's telling them, okay, it's great. You You were... in the true religion. Now, but Jesus is the fulfillment. So come into Jesus. Come into Jesus. Don't 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 trample the blood of Christ underfoot. Don't go look for something else. If you reject Jesus as the, as the Messiah, there's not another one coming. There's not another one coming. And, you know, the application in our day and time would be for covenant children, right? So if this is the covenant of grace that has always existed, um, there's always been a covenant within the covenant of grace. Um, Jeremiah says, uh, be circumcised of heart, not just circumcised of of flesh. Um, And in the New Testament, we would call this being in Christ. And um, people can be born in the church, but nobody's born in Christ. I don't think. Um, I say I don't think because I read the story of John the Baptist today, and he certainly seemed to be. So we'll say he's one. Um, And then I started praying for all our babies just to get converted. So he's saying, "Don't stay out here. Don't don't just wait." Don't uh, hesitate to come into Christ, because this isn't sa- you're not saved here. Make it make Jesus your Savior, and you know the question is the same question that the apostle Paul gets in uh, Romans two that he anticipates is like, well, if, if I'm not saved here, then what's the good of being here? Well, that's, this is where Christ is. This is where you're going to find him. This is where he is. You know, it, you, do you have to go to church to find Jesus? No, you don't have to go to the airport to find a plane, but you're more likely to, right? That's where they go. Jesus hasn't promised to meet you on the golf course. I just spent two and a half hours out there, did not see Jesus. Um, I didn't feel him, didn't experience him in any way. It was a very bad round. Um, But, you know, he's here. He always meets us here. He promises to. On his own word, we call him on that. You are promise to be here with us we're just asking you to keep your promise so and I do think he is saying if you leave the covenant and go look for life elsewhere um there's just not it doesn't exist outside of Christ there is no hope for salvation I think that's what he's saying because that's what's consistent with the rest of the Bible and I assume the Bible is consistent um but I do admit that this is, If if you ripped this con, this one paragraph out from the rest of the Bible, and tried to interpret it alone, it's problematic. Um, John uh, John fifteen, Jesus talks about he is the true vine and we are the branches, and he says if you don't bear fruit, you can get pruned and, and torn away and thrown into the fire. And I used to think that the only fruit you could produce is evangelism, and I'm a terrible evangelist, I really am, as y'all know. And so um, I was just scared to death; I was going to get thrown in the fire. Uh, but I think we, we actually have talked about that more effectively because Paul is fish. Paul essentially says the same thing in Galatians five, right? There's the fruits of the flesh. There's the fruits of the spirit. How do you know that you're spirit filled? How do you know that you're walking with grace? How do you have assurance of salvation? You see the fruits of the Spirit. You, you're, you're growing. If you're not seeing those fruits, if you're not growing in, in love and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control, did I get them all? Yes. It's, it's hard. Um, if you're not growing in those things, then something's wrong. You know, you, you, the Holy Spirit's not in you. The gospel's not in you because God promises you're going to be growing in those things. So if you're not, then either his promises are wrong or or we're in, a, we're in the wrong place. Something's not functioning. Um, now, the problem is this. Sometimes growth doesn't feel like you think it's For instance, patience. The the definition of patience is you have the ability to tolerate a lot of annoyance. And uh, it does not mean that you don't feel annoyed by anything. It means you tolerate a lot of annoyance. That's the definition of patience. Somebody who doesn't feel annoyance, they don't have to be a uh, patient because they're never bothered, right? So one time I was trying to teach my kids how to play baseball and they were terrible and it was hard and it was frustrating and i, I was in the backyard and i'd finally just uh just lost my temper with them. i was really embarrassed because my brother was there and i thought he saw me lose my temper and i was just like oh gosh is awful and i came in to the house and i'd been in the backyard and i kind of grabbed bianca over in the corner and i was like i'm so embarrassed tommy just saw me lose my temper. He probably thinks I'm just the most, you know, the worst dad ever. And she started laughing. And she said, the first thing Tommy said when he came into the house was, you're the most patient man he's ever seen. Right? You don't feel it necessarily. When you're really growing in it, you don't feel it. Um, you know, if you all of a sudden get convicted that that you're, you're not kind, you're not a kind person, you're, you're mean, you're, you're crass. Um, just me, um, and all of a sudden you get convicted of that, and you're like, I can't be a Christian and be this way. Then all of a sudden you start noticing all the mean and crass thoughts, and things, and temptations, and you feel like you're going the wrong direction. You know, it's like I, I used to not feel those things; I just did them. But now I feel these temptations, and I'm fighting against them, and I feel like I'm 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 just a monster. And, you know, my friend Keith, we're talking on the phone, and he said, oh, by the way, Paige, she wanted me to tell you something. She said, you know, she used to not really like you because you were kind of hard to be around, but you've become so kind in the last few years, and you're one of her favorite people. She wanted me to tell you that. You know, it doesn't feel like you think it needs to feel, um, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. All right, so practical applications... I already told you one, don't go anywhere. You're not going anywhere, so don't. Um, The way back is sometimes painful. Riding on the back of the shepherd's not always fun. Waiting on him to drag you out of a hole is not fun either. So just, just don't. And second, for parents, for friends, for brothers and sisters who are not believers, who grew up in the church, pray the promises. You know, God gave you great, precious promises to pray. Pray them. You know, uh, if you're if you're concerned about your children being converted, pray, pray the second commandment. God says, I am. He's faithful to a thousand generations of those who love me. Just call him on it. You know, it's like you said. I didn't say that. You did. I'm just asking you to do what you said you would do. Pray the promises. Uh, let them. You know. Make God show you that He's faithful, because uh, He is. And he will. And he wants to. And so, just don't give up. Just don't give up. how to do? 7.39. An hour. Unbelievable. How did y'all sit that long? All right. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for the perseverance of these people who sat here for an hour. That's perseverance right there. Uh, And that's not possible without your spirit. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for changing us for giving us a little stick-to-itiveness. Um, thank you for making us better than we were. And thank you most of all for bringing us Jesus and to not letting us run away when we wanted to. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.